Good morning. In every Adventist church I go to on every Sabbath, you do the whole good morning, happy Sabbath thing, and only two people say, you've got to do it twice, and you gotta, and people are annoyed, and it's like, happy Sabbath, and just, you can just greet loudly the first time. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Oh, it may seem like a formality to you, but it does... As a speaker, as a guest speaker, it does. I feel the warmth. Um, And even if you did, I know that you guys are all, many of you, not all of you, are are loving. Um, We're going to have a a message today based on last night's message. How many of you were here last night? Please raise your hands. How many of you were not here last night? Please raise your hands. Okay, whoa. Um, Welcome, 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 welcome. Um, there There was a caveat, a disclaimer that uh, I, am, I am Korean, I am not North Korean, I'm not South Korean, just, just Korean, and uh, this is a Korean church welcoming all non-Koreans, but the message is kind of geared towards Asians, and uh, I presented this many times before, and many of those who are not Asians have received a lot of blessings, but it's a little bit more work as it's primarily contextualized for the Asian context. Um, but the principles here actually are needed for every Adventist, especially those on university campuses. So I'm assuming that many of you, not all of you, but many of you are affiliated with the university uh, nearby in some way, to some degree, and uh, even if you're not, you are part of its, its uh, momentum and its, its uh, existence. The message this morning is entitled Cultural and Spiritual Calling. And before we actually go in, yes, it is another PowerPoint presentation. It's not a formal message. It's just, as I mentioned yesterday, it kind of came off of my, my thinking and my, uh, I've been in, involved in campus ministries for about 15 years as a pastor of a Korean church, pastor of an American international church. Uh, I lived in Korea as a missionary for a couple of years and now I work for the General Conference. And I have, these are, these are thoughts that are still coagulating in my mind. And uh, I'm just, I just shared with some people a couple months ago and uh, some people said, hey, you need to share this at College Dale. So here I'm here, I'm here. Uh, if you don't like the message, that's your fault. It's not my fault. Um, I, don't, I can't do anything about it, and uh, that's your problem. Um, but we're going to try to make that, that this is a grace-filled mes- message as much as possible. Can I ask, and I know this is a very rude question to some of you, but I don't really care. Um, how many of you are 20 years or younger? Please raise your hands. Oh, my. So you were born in, like, 19... 19... Born in 2001? People were born in 2001. That's kind of weird. Um, how many of you are 20 to 30 years old? Just have a, a demographic. I'm very into sociology. 20 to 30s. 20 to 30s. Okay. And then th- we'll just do 30 plus. 30 plus. Okay, 30 plus. Be proud. Be proud. There's something really cool that I really like about the Asian culture. I really revere the American culture and, 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 and Asian culture. And I mentioned this a little last night, but the Asians really like age. Uh, it's, it's an American point of shame. A lot of times we think the Asians are about shame and dignity. And, no, the Westerners are also just as so much about shame, and, and, uh, but they, they're ashamed of age. Very interesting. So you see a lot of women who are like, oh, yeah, I mean, they look like they're 90 years old. But like, yeah, it's my 30th birthday, and they're still uh, reliving their, their youth. Whereas in Asia, they're like, I am old, <laughs> and I can do whatever I want, and I can say whatever I want. Move! You know, and that's just how... <laughs> That's just how Asians are. 
and as I get older, I want to be like that person. Um, so cultural and spiritual calling. And I guess the reason I ask how old you are is some of you are already set in your ways. You've chosen your calling, and there's not much you can do about that. There's others you're kind of in that intermediate stage, and there's others who are like, I don't know what my calling is. I'm just trying to figure out my major. Uh, so we're just kind of maybe kind of do a, a bird's eye view on what I believe is the Asian problem and then our role as Adventists. Now, my assumption, all of you here are Seventh-day Adventists. If you're not, you're totally welcome. And I believe it's a biblical message, but uh, I, this is a burden I have, for, especially for Koreans and for Adventists, but including everyone. Is that, is that fair of a disclaimer, just, just so that everyone's feeling nice and warm and chicken soupy in their stomachs? Um, there are a lot of Asian-American pressures that, that we have. Um, if you don't know about them, I want to introduce you to them. Um, I love this man. I don't know who this man is. Um, he is the Asian dad meme. Um, I, I met him on, online, and we've developed a nice relationship uh, lately. And, uh, you know, I, I was just talking with Sarah up on the pulpit, and why is it that every Asian is born with supernatural musical abilities uh, upon birth? It's like perfect Juilliard students. And uh, Asians are very big. And I say Asians, and I know non-Asians are the same. And if you actually look at a culturally, many in continental Africa have what we would call an Asian culture and the same values. Many in Eastern Europe, we talked to a sister last night, the, the Romanian, Bulgarian, very similar. Basically, the whole world is the same except for American Europe okay, and, and Australia. They just kind of do their thing. Um, but, you know, Asians are very big into music, and we, you know, our dads are violent about that. Um, we're into study, you know, study, 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 study. For those of you who are Korean, you know, like, you know, how many of you hear, kongbue, 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 yes or no? Okay, that's you, you hear that a lot. What are you doing? Are you sleeping? No, you should be awake studying. And then we're, after you're studying, then at a certain point, when you turn about 25, your parents don't care about you studying. They say, stop studying. Now, usually 25 is usually the age where like, you're really interested in your doctoral studies and you want to study even more. And that's when you're like, you need to get married. Get married, get married, get married, get married, get married. I want grandkids right now. I want to die. That's what they want to say. And then they say, after, after you've, you've, you've married, if this clicker works, oh, oops. Children, 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 children. Maybe you stop generating meme and start generating grandchildren. There is a divergence of American and Asian cultures, okay? Yes, last night we looked at the East versus West. This is sociologically documented. This is not something new. I'm trying to bring up the more humorous elements to make it a little bit more palatable than just give you sociological data. And my job as a pastor is to say for the the Asian American culture, this has ramifications in our church. Um, In the American culture, this is an overwhelming message, is do what you want to do. Yes or no? Now, you don't really know that. And this is the problem with cultural studies. A fish doesn't know what water feels like. You don't know what the culture is unless you leave the water and be like, whoa, this is like ground. Oh, this is what water is. And and you could experience these things. So it wasn't until I actually lived abroad, and we really encourage all of you to, to live abroad, do mission work of some sort, and you get a little bit more of a cross-cultural perspective. For those of you who are part of third cultures, third-party cultures where you don't have a home, like I'm a Korean-American, America is not my home, Korea is not my home, I have no home, that, that's what they call third culture. It's, it's nice to compare and contrast one against each other, and you can actually cherry-pick the best of each element. 
But in America, it's overwhelming. Do whatever you really want to do. And we have this, the land of opportunity. You may not think so, but it is. You can do anything, whatever you want to, with, with, if you put your mind to it. America was created on the basis. And in Europe, Europe is very similar to ancient Korea, full of titles, full of family background, whatever. So if my dad was some kind of criminal, I was part of the criminal family for the rest of my life, I would come to America and I had the opportunity to start afresh. And many Koreans start this way. Okay? And not, not to offend some of you Asians or Koreans, but every Korean says, I am from the royal Korean blood. No, you're not. Okay, that's what this immigrants say. Um, if you're really royal Korean, you'd be living in Korea. Okay, why would you come over here? Usually, it's your, your ancestors did something illegal that you came over to America. Um, I say that with tongue-in-cheek. Um, in America, be all that you can be. In Asia, it's different. It's not the overwhelming message. It is happiness is in where? Is it in other people? Now, you may, seem, you may be thinking, well, that's very selfish and very, very superficial. Well, in America, it's, well, happiness is in you. The reality is both cultures are wrong. Amen? Is that fair? Okay. And I would say as an Adventist pastor, that happiness is rooted in holiness, and holiness is found in Christ. Okay, we're not going to go there we're a little bit later. But happiness is found in other people, and they say, and, and the way to be happy is when you hear how happy his parents, how happy her parents must be. In Korea, they say, wow, he is a doctor. How happy is his parents? How happy are her parents? And then be all, not that you want to be, but be all that your family has sacrificed you to be. Okay? That is the overwhelming message. Now, you don't see this on, 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 on um, billboards, but it is the overwhelming message that you see there. Now, today I'm going to go a little bit into, into this, and we're going to get away from the old Asian thing for a while, and we're going to look at in, in, in current day 2017. The modernist perspective is, says that there is, there, is, uh, there is no truth, that everyone can live according to the way that you want to. Postmodernists say there is one truth. Actually, that is the... Uh, no, that's correct. That there is truth, but is privatized and segmented away from the public, practical, everyday life. Okay, that's just really, really dry. And I, I usually use this in another message, but my father, I'll use this illustration because it's the only one I can think of. And my father was a hippie. He's six foot two. He's one of the tallest Koreans I know. I'm the only son that's still shorter than his dad in Asia. And uh, he was a hippie when he came over to the United States in 1970. He had long hair. I hate long hair. I like short hair. I'm a pastor. I cut my hair short. He has his hair long. And he just lived from that lifestyle. You know what hippies are? Yeah? You can look it up in Wikipedia in the historical era. And what happened was, when I was little, I went to my parents' house, because I lived there. <laughs> uh, and uh, I went to my parents' uh, bedroom closet, and there was, like, you know, the closet with all the junk in there? You all have that one room where, like, no one goes into just all the junk. And you get all the dry-cleaning plastic there. And then I was like, wow, this is an ancient ruin. And then there's all these, like, like, clothes, and I opened the clothes, and I went into Narnia. No, no, just kidding. So there was, like, a leather suit there, a leather suit. That was orange. And I, I screamed out loud. I'm like, ah, yeah, good boy, what is this? This is gross. So my parents came up. I'm the only child. They thought I died, so that I wasn't. I came up there. And they said, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you have this? This is disgusting. Throw it away. And my dad says, oh, that's mine. <laughs> In a smug uh, uh, facial expression. And he said, I wore that when I met your mother. All this, whatever, whatever. 
So I said, Dad, wear it. <laughs> be rather dead than, than wear that. Then Dad, throw it away. Nope, can't do that. Now you understand, that's why this closet exists. This closet is an intermediate stage of paralysis. You can't wear it publicly and you can't reject it. It's stuck. So we have this room and we put all of those things which we can't wear publicly and we can't throw away and it just becomes a storehouse for that. Brothers and sisters, the church can be an orange leather suit. Jesus can be your leather suit. Religion can be. So that we can't wear our religion outside, we can't wear Jesus in public, but we can't throw it away either. So we just kind of privatize it. You know, have you heard that term before? Privatization of religion. We just kind of like, this is my personal beliefs, and this is a millennial thing. What they, had, they call it the millennial tone, where nothing's really sure, and everything goes up at the end, because it's not a definitive statement, but it kind of more like I'm kind of thinking about what may be. And what happens is you're not really sure of anything. This is where we're at in 2017. Western society bifurcates the two. On the left, you see heart, religion, private preferences, values, individual choice, non-rational, non-cognitive, postmodern, subjective, relative, and how we act on Sabbath. Okay? That's kind of the religious side. Uh, we, we do this. You know, when, we, when we talk about religious beliefs, we often preface it. We're like, well, my personal beliefs are... Da, 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 da. Well, in my opinion... Da, 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 da. And we don't... We, have, we feel awkward in our society to impose religion on others. We feel like that's not uh, a civil thing to do. On the right side, we have the brain, science, public knowledge, facts, public society, rational, verifiable, modernism, objective, universal, how we live during the week. And this is the current challenge for our generation. We live six days as six-day non-Adventists, and on Sabbath, we live as a seventh-day Adventist. The two don't bleed. And it's as if when the sun goes down, it's like, vroom, Friday, house is clean, I am now holy. And then Sunday and Saturday, okay, I am now secular Justin, and I need to now work on all my stuff, and I don't talk about God, and da 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 And now Sabbath, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath, Sabbath school, potluck, Jesus. Uh, I don't know what Sabbath is, I don't know what it is. This bifurcated life. The sharp line, this is from Leslie Newman, the sharp line which modern Western culture has drawn between religious affairs and secular affairs in is, is itself one of the most significant peculiarities of our culture and would be incomprehensive to the vast majority of people. Meaning, in every other culture, to bifurcate religion and life does not exist. It only exists in the Western world. What do you have? Let me talk to my Korean brothers and sisters. In Korea, religion and life are one. In India, religion and life are one. In Africa, religion and life are one. But for those of us living in here in North America or Australia or Europe, religion is here, life is here. So that when I'm choosing what job, what, what calling, what occupation I'm going to have, my religion should not impact my major. 
My religion should not impact my profession. My religion does not impact how I make money. Should that be the case? And I would say this, as a general conference representative, 62.55% of our youth worldwide leave the church. Why is that? We have not learned to integrate Adventism into our clinical trials, into our classrooms, into our nursing rounds, into our, our dental assignments, into our daily work. We have not learned to do that. We have a biblical message, but we use a secular method, yes? So we have Christian ministries who use uh, the methodology of the entertainment and secular industry. Should that be the case? What I'm saying is this. The methodology should be just as biblical as our stances. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. What is methodology? We'll we'll get to that. Just, Just bear with me, okay? Christian businesses are accepting secular management. Are you understanding A Christian business is not a business where the boss just happens to be Christian. A Christian business is in its methodology, in its function, in its intuitive, all the fibers of that profit-making enterprise is founded on Christian principles. Today we say, you know what, Um, I'm going to be a doctor, and I'm an Adventist. I'm an Adventist doctor. No, you're not. You're a doctor, and you're an, Ad, you're an Adventist, but you're not an Adventist doctor. Should your Adventism affect how you doctor? Should it? And that goes for nursing, teaching, da, 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 the whole, whatever, whatever you choose. Uh, Christian hospitals are based on secular definitions of health. The question is this. If you go to an Adventist hospital, and the principles of that hospital are exactly the same as St. Mary's or some other uh, atheistic-based institution, what makes an, an Adventist institution? Many of our Adventist institutions today, uh, namely Southern, Andrews, Loma Linda, they are wanting to accommodate the principles of secular accreditation models. Now, I'm not anti-accreditation or whatever, but they're wanting to be like the Harvards and the Yales out there. Did you know Harvard is not accredited? They're so number one, they're like, we don't need to accredit anyone. We accredit ourselves. Now they, now they have modern you know, associations and they, they all overlap. They didn't start out as accredited service. Christian families have the same divorce rate as the secular world. Should Adventists have the same divorce rate as the world? Shouldn't. Christians have jobs that commit murder. Let me ask you this. Can, uh, I think I erased it here. Can Adventists work at nuclear missile facilities? Well, I I make a million dollars, I can pay tithe, and the church will benefit. Yeah, but you're bombing people, and you're killing people. The methodology should be Seventh-day Adventist, biblical, if that's the case. There are, um, in Las Vegas, there is a ministry, a non-Adventist ministry, praise the Lord, but a Christian ministry that believes in sexual evangelism. If it's, it's about baptizing people, and it's about the results of the matter. So what they do is they have a worship service, and then they have girls lined up, and then they make the girls dress in ways that are, I mean, you know, whatever, okay? And then so they, then they go out into the streets, and these girls have been given a canvas. This is not Adventist canvassing, by the way. This is a different version. And they go and like, hey, 
you want to have a good time? And the guys are like, yeah. And they come to church. And these dudes are like, what is this? And then they have like worship services and whatnot. And they've baptized one or two people this way. And that one baptism is a justification that this method is legitimate. Now that's an extreme version, yes? But is it legit? Now we don't do that. We don't go, ah. But we may use secular methods ourselves and just put the label Adventist on top. If this is clear, please say amen. Secularists respect religion. They deny relevance to the public realm. So you have PhDs, maybe um, those on campus, university campus, maybe even Southern. They have their doctoral degrees. They pay tithe, and they may even be a good moral Adventist. They're excellent in their field. They're number one in geology, number one in whatever. Yet, they don't believe the basic tenets of Adventism. Are they a good Adventist professor? You've got to ask yourself. In our institutions today, we are sacrificing our core beliefs for professional expertise. The Christian teacher is not only someone who is only a good example, but someone who teaches from a biblical world view. So the question is, uh, we looked at yesterday, identity, who are we, origin, where do we come from, how do we get there, meaning, what is the purpose of life, destiny, where are we going. As you all choose your calling, these four questions must be answered. Now, this is the problem in the Korean, Korean and, and Asian cultures. They don't care about these questions. <laughs> Just make some money. Take care of your parents. Who cares about where you came from, where you're going, what's the meaning of life? Koreans don't care about the meaning of life. They just want to be taken care of. And here as Adventists, we are living within a time frame. We're living in a worldview, and we have these answers that we need to ask, and we have these questions that we need to answer. The term worldview describes a search for answers to those intensely personal questions everyone must wrestle with. The cry for the human heart for purpose, meaning, and the big truth, uh, truth big enough to live by. No one can live without the sense of purpose and direction, a sense that his or her life has significance as part of a cosmic story. And I mentioned this last night, but sociologists have criticized the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the book Seeking a Sanctuary. They call the Adventist Church a revolving door church. Revolving door church. Meaning that those who come into the church are poor people or marginal people. And we go into our academy system, we go into our colleges, and we go into our graduate students, and all we're trying to do is get into Loma Linda Medical. That is our goal as a denomination. And once we get into Loma Linda Medical, Loma Linda Dental, wherever, we graduate, and the far majority leave the church. Meaning, we come into the church, we, we climb the ladder, we get rich, and we leave the church. It's a revolving door. We need to learn how not only to become doctors and dentists, We'll learn to be Adventist doctor, Adventist dentist, Adventist teachers, Adventist whatever is whatever, whatever you want to be. So here you have um, the different, different philosophies out there. I won't get into this, but it, I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, different, different, different worldviews think of human beings as different things. They define human beings in different ways. In, the, in Marxism, they look at the human being as you are just the means of work. You are a human body. You have hands. You got muscle tissue. Carry this and go over there. Okay, bring it back. They only look at people in terms of labor. Okay, Freud says, no, no, no. There's, she's not. La- I don't want to use a. I'm not going to use a human being. Um, people are just manifestations of my sexual projections. 
Yeah? So I see a girl like, mom, and a dad, dad, and just weird, perverted stuff. Behaviorist says, hey, we are just these automaton robots, and then when we see a stimulus, we respond. And we just, we don't do anything, and we're just, we just we're, live on automatic, and we're like, ooh, food, ooh, to a movie, ooh, and we just go from one thing to another, okay? And lastly, there is the biblical worldview that says we are the um, combination, the aggregation of our choices. There's a guy named Alvin Plantinga, and he said, he, I don't know if you know him, he's a big philosopher. When he became a... Um, a university professor in philosophy, almost 100% of the philosophy professors were atheists. What percentage? So he becomes, he becomes a philosophy professor. And I don't really understand what his PhD thesis is. I tried to read it and I can't understand it. He's like, he's brilliant. But he's basically saying that um, for proper thinking, for proper thinking, there are these basic elements in your brain that you need to understand. And if you don't understand it, you're insane. So he says, like, for example, numbers. Just the basic part of your programming. You can't prove numbers. You can't, you can't, you can't make numbers. Numbers, quantity, it just exists. And your brain naturally needs it to process things. And if you don't believe in numbers, you are, what? Insane. And then his contribution is, well, I believe God is one of these things. So if you don't believe in God, you are insane. Well, at the time, I mean, people made fun of him. Uh, he was derided, and he was, he was just made fun of. And um, he developed his thought even more. And now, to the, now to today, in 2017, because of this one man, 33% of all the philosophy professors in the United States are theistic. Is he a Christian philosopher? Is it making sense? He is not a philosopher who just happens to be a Christian. He is a Christian philosopher. We need an Adventist version. Now, I interchange biblical with, with Adventist. We need an Adventist science out there. Yeah? Our science should be based on something biblical. It should be part of an, an Adventist worldview. We need an Adventist politics. Amen? Something to combat Trump and bring in some biblical, I'm not saying a combination of church and state, I'm not saying that, but there's an Adventist theory of politics. We need Adventist economics, Adventist bioethics, Adventist theory of journalism, Adventist fashion. We need Adventist fashion. Do you know that there is one lady, uh, she is Amish, and she decided to go to the best fashion institute in the world, somewhere in France, and she said, instead of me being Amish and a fashion designer, I'm going to bring my Amishness into the fashion world. And she said, what if modesty was actually fashionable? And she had entire shows based on Amish dress, which I don't know how that's very fashionable, but she did it somehow. And then they kind of went, and she was creative, and it made the headlines for a very short time, but still, she's trying. She says, we need an Adventist theory of fashion. Wouldn't it be cool to have Adventist fashion? What do we look like? Would we, would we wear the same things right now? Avenus theory of literature, Avenus theory of technology, Avenus theory of food. Amen? What if we were on the cutting edge of food culinary development? Enough with the haystacks. That's not Avenus food. It's just taco salad. I don't know why, why we call it a haystack. What if we created, what if we were on the cutting edge 
of food that looked good. Amen? There's some Adventist food that doesn't look good, like special Caleb. And then there's other food that tastes good, and then that is also healthy for you. Because if we don't do it, there's other people who will do it for us. And we need an Adventist theory of everything. So for this to occur, okay, some of you are going to love, for this to occur, I mean, this is a large picture. For this to occur, Asians, my Korean brothers and sisters, if you may be God's gift to the journalism world, you may be God's gift to the fashion world, you, may, you, you have these things that God has created in your individuality, and you need to shine forth and stand up and give glory back to God in this one field, but the culture says, no, suppress that. Don't serve your God, serve Omai and Appa. Go to medical school and dental school or whatever, make a lot of money, and then give your money back to your parents. Now, you understand, I'm not anti-medical school or anti-dental school. I'm just saying that because all of us are there anyway. Okay. Um, can Adventist businessmen sell alcohol? Can Adventist writers write novels in Living After Death? Can Adventist scientists work on nuclear missiles? This is making sense. We need a worldview that is thoroughly biblical and thoroughly Adventist. So, prestige is not central to the life of the Christian believer, whereas in, in Korean culture it is. Hoarding money is considered foolish. We should be concerned for parents' well-being, but we should plan well for the sake of provision, and laziness leads to shame and poverty. So there are elements in the Eastern world that are biblical. I'm not dogging Koreans. There are things in the Korean culture that are wonderful that America needs to learn from. Amen? There are. Americans need to learn to respect elders. They really do. They need to learn about diligence and persistence and hard work. America used to be a country like this. Now we're all into being, receiving freebies here and there and entitlement. But Korea and Asia has a lot to learn from America as well. The whole point is this. I'm not saying that Korea is better or America is better. Is we need to transcend that and isolate which of our cultures. Every culture has been given something special by God and we create a composite picture of God with our cultures. This is not working. Honor versus obey. Some of you are thinking, um, this is a little too abstract for me. Um, I'm just going to go home and when it's sundown, I'm going to study organic chemistry and I'm going to get my, ta- uh, my taxes done, my, my, uh, my, my exam, and I just want to get to me. I don't want to think about this. This is like a little too much. Okay. The message here tonight is to help you or ask you to reevaluate everything. And your largest barrier may be your parents. Your parents who may have sacrificed all for you, and you're you're thinking, Pastor, are you saying that I should call my parents up right now and be like, Mom, Dad, I hate you? That's what Jesus said. That's what Justin Kim said. So I'm going to now become an artist (laughs) and live in Bahamas. No, I'm not saying that at all. There is a difference between honoring your parents and obeying your parents. There is a difference here. You see, honor is a position of alt, uh, uh, attitude, and obeying is a position of just behavior on the outside. Christ is to be who? Or what, I should say? Obeyed. Okay? 
Um, honor is protecting parental dignity, attributing weight to parental counsel, acknowledge a parent's higher social position, and respond appropriately to a parent's love and wisdom. That is honor. Meaning, dad, mom, what do you think? What do you have to say to this? I really value your wisdom. Mom, dad, you've lived for 190 years. In those 200 years, what do you have to offer to me? And then by at the end of the day, you need to obey Christ. Does that make sense? Sometimes we take that honor thy father and thy mother, and then we say, like, oh, man, that's the, that's the fifth commandment. That means whatever mom and dad says I have to do. Uh-uh. It just means to honor them, not obey them. Now, in honoring them, there may be some good wisdom, and that you should, you should definitely obey. Okay? There is also such thing as honorable disobedience. Yes? Ruth and Naomi. Ruth said, uh, Naomi said, go away. But Ruth said, no. I will honor you by not going away. She said, go away. No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue against you, and I'm going to stick with you. There's also Jonathan and Saul. Yes? Jonathan was anti his father's positions. And he respected his father, yet he still befriended David. You have Jesus and his parents, who he was still respectful of his parents, and uh, he, he still did the Lord's will. We need to learn to forgive, and this is the last slide for you this morning. Oh, this is not working. Oh, not the last slide, there's more. Uh, John Stott, this is a very good one that, that, that helped me here. The submission required is to God's authority delegated to human beings. If, therefore, our parents, for example, misuse their God-given authority, for example, by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then our duty is no longer conscientiously to submit, but conscientiously to what? To refuse to do so. In the Eastern world, it's all about Eastern security, economic security. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have these conversations with my, my mother. My mom worries a lot. I'm 36 years old. She says, hey, wear a jacket. It's cold outside. Mom, I know it's cold outside because I got my gym. And I, I should be a better son. I'm like, yes, mother. But I don't. I always give her a lip. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I do that. I'm an only child. I, can, I feel like I can do that. We go in the car, she's like, hey, wear your seatbelt. Mom, I was about to wear my seatbelt. Now that, now if I put my seatbelt, that means I'm putting it up because I'm listening to you. But I, I have the independence and the free will. I was going to do it anyway. We just visited my mom and dad. Hey, eat your vegetables. Mom, I'm a vegetarian. That's all I eat. That's like, what I eat vegetables. You don't have to tell me that. Koreans are very much into worrying. It's not a Korean thing. It's a parental, parental thing. But there is, in the Western culture, there are boundaries. And it's, very, it's a foreign concept to the East. When you are 18, you are gone. To the Asian mind, this is a foreign concept. Because when you are 118 years old, you are still my child. I will micromanage everything in your life. I don't care what the law says. I don't care what the culture says. You are my seki, and I'm going to tell you whatever I want to do. Okay. Very big on economic security. When my parents, uh, I went to Harvard Medical School for one year to do medical research and stem cell research. Uh, I, I hated every moment of it. But my trajectory was to go to medical school. Uh, I had the recommendation letter from the chief of admissions from Harvard. And I was like, this is a pretty, pretty cool gig, right? And then I told my parents, um, while working at the hospital at Mass General, 
Uh, I didn't like any of the research. Pretty much these people died who were like 80 years old, and they came up with no contribution to science. The only contribution was what doesn't work. And I didn't want to be part of that. So while at the hospital, I was giving Bible studies to the receptionist downstairs, to the Catholic uh, lab supervisor. I was having uh, religious conversations with a Swedish girl who was kind of like postmodern, atheistic. And I really enjoyed having these apologetic, campus ministry type of oriented conversations. So I said, hey, maybe I'll go to seminary. He's like, dad, mom, I'm going to go to seminary. What? <laughs> Pastors are poor. They don't make any money. They're like, they, they're homeless all the time. Like, they're not homeless, mom, dad. Like, and I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm just going to go to seminary and just, just learn just a little bit. And then I'll go back to another home. Okay, okay. So I went for one year. And then after one year, uh, I, I told my parents, well, mom, dad, it's a two-year program. And, you know, I've already done one year. Why not just do another year? And you're like, and then you're going to go to medical school. Yeah, I will. So I did two years, and then I got a master's degree or basic requirements for, for it. And then I told my parents, well, I have the degree. I should use it because I don't, you know, like. And, um, and, and you may think, and I've heard people, people say, like, hey, you're, you're a very good speaker. I've never wanted to be a public speaker. I, I was very shy of people. I don't like people. And uh, <laughs> I, I really don't. I just like sitting and reading a book all by myself. And uh, I never wanted to be a pastor, be a public speaker. Now, this has all been developed in the last 15 years, okay? And, Lord, I don't want to do this. And the Lord called me into ministry, part of a campus ministry like this near Andrews University. Some of them are actually sitting in the back row. They opened my eyes. I love to preach the Word of God, gave Bible studies. They became pastors of different churches here and there. And last year, I got called to the general conference, and the whole time, my parents are thinking, you're so poor, you're so poor, you're so poor, you're so poor. But now, after 15 years, I can look back, and I have a testimony, I have a record of a testimony, that God has never let me down even once in those 15 years. Now, this is my story as a pastor, but this can take away passion. It can be whatever, whatever you, you insert, fill in the blank there, whatever you do. There will be tension with your parents. But if you give it to the Lord, you can still do it in a Christ-like manner. You can still honor them. And you obey them in the areas where they, 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 they should be obeyed. But it is not 100% mindless obedience just because they're your mom and dad. Is that a fair thing to say? Does that make sense? It's all things in balance. In the East, they're all about economic security. And so, you know, we claim Psalms 23, God provides. Matthew 6, don't take thought for tomorrow. Proverbs balances that saying, plan and prepare. So the whole thing is, don't worry, but what? But plan. Does that make sense? The job versus a vocation. In an Asian course, you, there's all about getting a high education, high prestige, get a high paying job in the city, get a nice car, a nice house. Superficial, shallow relationship with God. Very busy, stressed out. Use all your money on Netflix, and you become a yuppie. Okay, this is your Adventist destiny. It really is. And I, my burden is, if our generation continues down this route, we're not going to see the next generation of Adventists. 
There are migrations. Now, I'm not anti-Southern and I'm not anti-Loma Linda. You all understand where I'm coming from, yeah? But there's this migration to Southern California. Then you, you marry, because all the Adventists are ugly, you go to the Presbyterian church and you marry someone there, you leave the church and you have a lot of Presbyterian kids and then you're a Presbyterian. You see this happen all the time. Takeaways from today, and this is my last slide from, from, for, for this morning. Tell God everything. I know this sounds very, very, very simple and very, very, very intuitive, but God is not stupid. He created our parents. He created the Korean culture. In many ways, he's more Korean than our Korean grandparents. He is the ultimate Korean. Now, for those who are not Korean, don't freak out. I'm not saying that God is Korean. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Just, just don't take me out of context. But you understand where I'm coming from. Just tell, but Lord, like, this is so hard. Like, my parents have, like, they only sleep two hours a day. And, like, my, 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 my dad, like, he just sacrificed so much for me. And he just wants me to do this. And I'm like, how am I going to say? Just tell him, tell God everything. And God will cause it to happen. Number two, don't just talk at him, listen for him. So we're an Adventist, we're very good at praying, but we're not good at listening. God will speak. And it's these opportune times where it is just, you feel overwhelmingly motivated to say X, Y, or Z to your mom and dad. Number three, seek confirmation through wise counselors. Okay? If your dream is, if you think you're the next um, you know, karaoke bar specialist, and you want to be an Adventist karaoke bar specialist, and you want to go out there and, and you want to start a franchise of karaoke bars, you want to give glory to God through karaoke bars, I would question that a little bit. I really would. Now, to be convinced just by yourself is not enough. Ask other godly, wise people, like, do you think, you know, we can do a karaoke bar? Yeah, yeah. No? I mean, we'd be closed on Sabbath, for sure. It would just be, you know, on sundown, and then we'd open again on Saturday night. Like, that would make a lot of money. We'd give tithe back to the church. We'd have, you know, all decaffeinated and all these smoothies and only, you know, hymns. No, that don't, no, okay, no, okay. Bad idea, bad idea. So ask wise counselors around you what your thing is. Number four, God has the best plan for your life. And then this is where um, my, my um, peers who are now living in Southern California, who have gone the route of finding uh, worldly wealth through the Adventist church and have left the church, many of them regret the choices that they have made. God has the best life for you in mind. I know this sounds very cliche, and maybe in Bible Belt, Chattanooga, this is nothing new, but God has the best life for you. For those of you who have chosen your, 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 your careers, your, 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 your callings already, God still has the best years of your life in front of you. God will use your practice, your profession, your, your clientele, and bring them into the kingdom of God. Like the most exciting parts are still ahead of you. Number five, listen to your parents. Even if you disagree, listen to your parents. Always listen. That's the right that they have. They have a right to speak to you and is uh, your honor, uh, your duty to honor is always, you don't always have to agree, but always listen to them. Number six, don't use the Bible as a weapon. Amen? Don't use Luke 14, 27. Hey mom, Pastor Justin said I have to hate you. No, don't say that. Don't quote that. Don't use that. Number seven, 
take advantage of advocates in talking with parents. And this is where it's been very powerful. In the Korean culture, I am a young uh, idiot of a kid. My parents are super old and wise. There's a hierarchy there. So all, I'm, all that I can say, it's just a little minion speaking to this tower of a people. There's a, there's a hierarchy. So Lord, like, man, all my talking doesn't work. All my argument doesn't work. I'm, I'm not using the Bible as a weapon. Like, what, what can I do? And the Lord has ways. I had the privilege to start uh, with my friend, an organization called Generation of Youth for Christ. And uh, first year, we had about 400 people. Second year, about 800 people. Second, third year, about 2,000. Fourth year, 4,000. And after it went global, right? During the whole time, I'm like, wow, 4,000 people came. According to convention centers today, it is the largest Christian gathering on an annual basis in North America. There's other denominations that have it on a bi, biannual or others, but our Seventh-day Adventist organization is the largest Christian gathering of young adults in America. And it's a global phenomenon. Well, the whole time I'm like, hey, mom, like, we're in like, the, the church newsletter, you know, the Herald or the, the Visitor, I don't know what you have over here. Hey, we're on the internet. And my, dad, my mom and dad are like, ugh, it's just a small little you know, boys club, a girls club in your backyard. It's 4,000 people. Uh, I had the privilege, uh, with, with GYC going around the world, uh, Korea heard about this, and they said, hey, let's start a little youth project over there. So they started a little uh, uh, GYC spinoff over there, and I was, I was asked to be a speaker over there, and through some weird connections, it got a hold to my grandmother. And my grandmother was, she's a very small, frail, Ellen White kind of lady, and she's living in the middle of nowhere in Korea. And she heard wind of this. And she heard like, Wow, my grandson is a speaker. She single-handedly tells everyone in her village. Now that, I think, is awesome to give uh, honor to my grandmother. She's the matriarch of our spiritual family. Well, one of these villagers heard about it, and they came to America, and they meet my mom and dad, and it's like, you know what? We heard this and this and this and this and this. So this is the funny thing. I can tell them all, I can tell my parents all the numbers and statistics, how big we are. It means absolutely nothing. But someone from a village in the middle of nowhere <laughs> tells about how all the villagers, we're like only like 40 people, okay, small little, you know, they, they look like bamboo farmers. They, they all, and my parents were like, wow, this thing is pretty big. <laughs> yes. Now, you do understand, it's not about the name, it's not about the bigness, you know, it's about, I need to fulfill what God has asked me to do, but my parents were the barrier to that. Do you understand? And so God has caused this weird, you know, village thing, da, 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 and my parents were, it took 10 years for that to happen. It took 10 years. Now, there's a lot of some other stuff that needs to be ironed out, but that's okay. God will take care of that stuff. So whether it's about who you're going to marry, what profession you're going to do, how you're going to raise your kids, these big questions, what the meaning of life is, what you want to, what, to do in life, talk to your parents about it. And while you're talking to them, fulfill the destiny that God has given in your individuality. Amen? One of my favorite books in Spirit of Prophecy is called Mind, Character, Personality, Volume 2. Volume 1 is, eh, whatever. Volume 2... And you can read volume, if you're, if you're OCD, you're going to be like, well, I need to read volume one. No, just read volume two. 
There's a whole section on individuality. That God has made her unlike any other person in the universe. And she needs to fulfill her individuality. Does it make sense? And she's feeling desperately uh, ashamed right now, so I'm going to go somewhere else. He's also an individual. And you understand, like all of us. And we need to fulfill God's destiny as individuals rather than all of us be the same exact person and in the same exact profession. Amen? It's not a sermon. It's just the thoughts that I have. My burden for my Asian brothers and sisters. Let's be the best that we can be. Amen? Let's be Adventists par excellence. The best that we can. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask for your mercy here this morning. We ask that you have compassion, not only in our immediate circumstances, but with our future trajectories and what avenue that we are to choose for the rest of our lives. And Father, at this time, if there are individuals who are anxious, curious, anticipating conflict with choosing their future profession, I'm going to ask that they raise their hands up to heaven right now as a sign that these individuals would like to receive an extra portion of grace. Lord, we don't know how this grace will happen, but we know that in your kindness it will be manifested in some way. Father, with such an esteemed group as this, we pray that a new revival, a new worldwide movement, a new revolution take place of having its uh, conception here in this church. It is not by chance that this Korean church is not full of Koreans. We thank you that we have sisters and brothers from all cultures. We thank you that Adventism is a global enterprise. Lord, I ask that you bless each of the students here in their studies. After now, Thanksgiving break is over and they're preparing for their final exams. Father, may you grant them success. May the success not be in terms of man's eyes or parental eyes, but yours. And Lord, grant them the courage to choose that profession, that course of life that is heaven-ordained. Father, not just only for our callings, but in our significant others, our, our future spouses, on how we raise our children, on how we use our money. Lord, all the aspects of our life, as we just have sang, we surrender to you. We ask that you take full control of our lives. We ask that you finish this work quickly. And that our hope, and it may not be in nice homes in this world, but in the world thereafter. We pray humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.